0: All right, let's pray. Father, it's the last Sunday in our emotions. God, I just pray, Lord, that you would let this be a hinge point uh, for our church and propelling us forward in the faith. I just pray this is a catalyst, God, um, as we submit our emotions to you, as we submit our anxiety and depression and envy and shame and now anger, to you lord i pray that we would truly live in submission to your kindness and grace and that you would change us i pray that this is not just talking points this is not just um, some good advice i pray that we would receive from your holy word and see the value in living according to it today and in perpetuity god change us from the inside out, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, We're on week five of a series called Smoke Signals. It was the early church father, Augustine, who used the analogy that our emotions are like smoke from a fire. They alert us to the greater reality, the more dangerous reality of a fire. And so our emotions show us what's happening deeper within us. Um, I've tried to remind you throughout the series that for some, there's including Shannon and I at times, there's more going on than I can deal with here on a Sunday morning. And so throughout this series, I have, you may have trauma in your past, You may have uh, experience in in a destructive relationship. Uh, You may have been wounded. It may be some intricate physiological makeup that you have in in your brain. And and if you need additional help, I want to encourage you with three counselors. This is the last time I'll mention their name unless you ask, but if you want to jot them down, Caris Counseling, True North Counseling, and Center for Human Development, all in Wausau. Go to their websites. Look at the staff bios. They're very good about telling you who is trained in what area, and maybe there would be a unique fit. But don't deal with your emotions alone. Way too many pastors deal with their emotions by themselves. It is a trending thing right now that pastors are taking their own lives. It's just, we're watching this thing happen, and it's just devastating And the reality is that all of us, no matter how clean and neat you look on the outside, there are issues that we face. Get help. Seek help. Every counselor is required to have a counselor. I'm like done with this being taboo. We encourage you to go to counseling. A third party is a great thing when you need a third party in your marriage. If not professional counseling, just get advice from a friend. Bring somebody else in. Make yourself vulnerable. Uh, Can counseling be expensive? Sure it can, if if you don't have insurance to help in any way. But I would say this, whether you do or don't have insurance, there are more costly things in life than counseling. Hospital visits, how many of you know, are more costly than counseling? Divorce, how many of you know, is more costly than counseling? Okay, um the impact that an a, a, someone who is without counseling that 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 individual can have on their family on other people in their sphere of influence can be devastating that can be costly that costs more than counseling so please um again Get help if you need it beyond this sermon content. This is only looking at the spiritual implications. So, depression, anxiety, envy, shame, today, anger. Anger can destroy relationships, anger can destroy friendships. Again, everybody deals with it to a certain degree, some of us more than others. I heard a story about an elderly couple who fought all the time and, and toward the latter years of their relationship in a humble and repentant way, the woman in the relationship comes to the man and says, honey, I'm so sorry that I have blown up at you so many times over the years. And her husband responded, it's okay, honey. You know what? I learned to cope. Every time you blew up, I just went and scrubbed the toilet." I take care of a different toilet every time you blew up at me. It's really not a big deal. She said, really? She said, did that get you through it? And he said, yeah, in fact, your toothbrush made that porcelain look (laughs) brand new again. Brand new. As you know, there are both good ways and bad ways at dealing with our anger. I don't know a single successful person who does not regret something that they've said in anger, okay? Have you ever said something you'd like to have back, yes or no? Have you ever emailed something you'd like to have back, yes or no? Did you ever put something in bold in an email? I'm not talking about that kind of bold, I'm talking about a bad kind of bold. Did you ever put something in all caps in an email? Did you ever use BLUE? or read in an email, or italicize something, and wish you could take that back, or take your words back, because you were angry. Anger, furthermore, if you don't have the overt kind, can be passive. You can be passively angry, and just as angry. You just express it in different ways. The Silent treatment. Have you ever given someone a silent treatment? Have you ever given somebody a cold shoulder? Have you ever removed the blessing of your presence from a room or from a home for a particular amount of time? As if you are God, have you turned your face away And was that punishment enough for the person that you were in disagreement with? Have you grown bitter? Have you nursed your bitterness by avoiding somebody? All these things, passive anger. Here are a few things people who are passively angry, who don't think they're angry but are actually quite angry, say I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. Why can't I have a bad day every once in a while like everybody else? You're being overly sensitive. I'm the only person who ever says I'm sorry in this house. Here's my personal favorite, and by personal, I mean the phrase I've used a number of times while passively angry. I'm sorry to unload on you, I just need to vent. I'm not really angry. I just need vent, okay? Of course I'm angry when I say that. And if you've made any one of those statements, you may be in denial, but I would submit that you become angry too. And we have an angry society in general, do we not? You can turn on any primetime hour in any any news organization, doesn't matter which one it is, and you will see angry people and they deliberate, and they opine, and they're in large part angry. People seem teed up, do they, or do they not? Okay? Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote for us. Ephesians 4, uh, we'll begin in actually 26. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God Also forgave who? You in Christ. The passage that we just read begins with a very confusing command be angry. See, Apostle Paul. How could it be? The, the apostle Paul is telling us to be angry. Make no mistake about it. He's giving us an imperative. He's saying, be angry. He's saying there is a way to honor Jesus Christ and be angry at the same time. Some of you may be like, I, I like this Christianity thing now <laughs> that I know that. I can be angry. and be, Yes, you can. Deep down, you may say, I knew I was a saint. Wait a minute, we'll learn a little bit more about qualifying this anger. Christianity does not teach, does not teach the annihilation of our emotions. Some other world religions, in particular some sects of, of Buddhism, as I understand, teach that in large part emotions are not virtuous. They are things that we ought to avoid and keep Uh, over here and relegate or regulate. Um, Christians believe emotions are indicators and helpful and good. Um, And anger is no different when it's used appropriately. Anger, when you think about it, is an incredible energy that is released in defense of something that we love. Something that we love. When we want to defend something we love, we become angry. People are angry over the trafficking of children because they love what group of people? They love children. Jesus loved the little children. Jesus took in children. He told his disciples who were perturbed by kids, leave the kids alone, let the kids come to me. There are some scriptures that read better Are you if, if, if a millstone is tied around your, around your neck and thrown into the sea than you are if you harm a child. The Bible is very clear. Children are, are, are precious possessions. And, and so people who are angry over the trafficking of kids utilize that anger in a very healthy way and, and wonderful protective causes emerge for children to the glory of God. Yes, Because people are angry and rightfully angry. When someone uh, who is loved dies of cancer, someone else who is motivated by anger at the cancer becomes an M.D., devotes a life to a cure in a lab. If I love my kids, I become angry when they are dishonest or disobedient or rebellious. If I love the glory of God, I hate what diminishes God's glory in any capacity, what attacks God's glory. Jesus Christ was a a person who was angry at times and sometimes violently so. In Mark 3, after Jesus heals a man, I love this story, with a shriveled hand. Dude's hand just unshriveled and became normal at the power of God. Just like that. Jesus heals this man. He discerns, he looks around and discerns that the religious people who are standing about watching this aren't celebrating the man who was just healed. They're judging Jesus for healing on a day that they don't believe Jesus should be working because he wasn't observing the Sabbath. And Jesus is filled with anger because they put their religious custom over passion for this man who is disabled. In Matthew 21, Jesus gets angry over money changers in a temple who have turned the church into uh, ba- basically a marketplace. And you, you can't go to worship because people are coming up to you to buy all of these various goods and services. It's as if you're in the streets of, of present-day Greece or Rome. And you can't get away from people who want to sell you commodities. This was the experience in in worship. And so Jesus walks away from the scene. This shows you he was was, uh, rational. This shows you he had reason. He walked away. He walked away and he fashioned. He made a whip. How many of you think it's cool that your Savior and Lord knew how to make a whip? Like Indiana Jones style. Just went away, I'm just going to make my own whip. And he made a whip, and he came back in, and apparently he knew how to use the whip because he drove out with the whip, turned over the tables, uh, the, the, the money-changing tables. Okay? And people, people left. Um, to show us that Jesus was in the right place, the Bible tells us that when he went to the cross, he was sinless. So we know he did not sin in his anger. This means he did not regret what he did in that temple. He didn't even regret it because it was righteously motivated. I want to make very clear, I want to make very clear, I need to say this. I am, I'm not legitimizing the use of a whip in, in, in a public place of worship or any other place for that matter. Okay? Okay? just so I don't get a phone call this week, you're not going to believe what Stacy did at work today, right? I don't want to hear that. Um, but but what I'm trying to say is that if you're never angry, you're not like Jesus. If nothing bothers you, you're not like Jesus. If not, If no injustice gets under your skin enough that you want to do something about it, you're not like, Jesus. Christian counselor David Pallison says, the very fact that God gets angry tells us that anger can be utterly right, good, appropriate, beautiful, the only fair response to something evil, and the loving response on behalf of evil's victims, end quote. John Chrysostom said, it is true that, that he that is angry without cause sins, but he who is not angry when there is cause also sins and perhaps to a greater degree. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't be angry. I'm telling you that you should. You should be angry when the rights of other people are trampled on. Amen? You should be angry when Christians are martyred around the globe. Amen? You should be angry. Uh, That's righteous. When somebody gets abused in a marriage, we should get angry. It should frustrate us. Paul says be angry. Be angry. But do not sin. So here's the next big truth. If anger is in response to love, then if what we love is messed up, our anger will be messed up. Anger is in response to love. If what we love is messed up, anger will be messed up. Sinful anger comes from loving the wrong things or loving the right things but out of proportion. For example, it isn't wrong to value your family name and reputation. We're the Burrises. We're the Heeks. We're the Bruswitzes. We're the Denfelds. We're the Wenzels. But if you love your family name more than you love Jesus Christ, that's a problem. And it'll cause you to become unjustifiably angry in sin when your people are questioned. Does so he you know who he's talking to? I'm a Burris. Does he know what my family is known for in my hometown? Does he know what our family's accomplished? You're not dealing with the average bear here, buddy. You're dealing with the Burris. If you love control, if you love convenience, when those things are threatened, you become angry. If I'm putting the finishing touches on a sermon... On a Sunday morning early, which happens every Sunday. And if into my kitchen walks a kid who wakes up a bit prematurely and asks or demands worse for breakfast, then I get angry. But why do I get angry? Do I get angry because I'm fighting some injustice abroad? Do I I get angry because something I love that's noble and good is being compromised? No, I get angry because I'm inconvenienced. I get angry because you, little three-year-old, messed my plan up for the morning. It's unjustifiable, sinful anger. Poor kid's just hungry. That's all that is. I'm the kid's parent, right? Right? Anger is always in defense of something we love. In that moment, I'm not thinking about how precious my time is with them, how fleeting it is with them. Um, I'm only thinking about how my morning plan got interrupted. So when you tailgate somebody who's driving slow, is your anger motivated by Passion for that person to grow in other-centeredness and speed up so that everybody else can proceed at the speed limit? Absolutely not. Your anger is motivated by your own inconvenience because your plan was messed up. When you aren't recognized at work for something great, you did. Is your anger fueled by justice for all people whose work has not been noticed, who are underappreciated? No, your anger is fueled by your act being unnoticed and feeling unappreciated. Do we then campaign for the underappreciated other employees? We do not. Here's my point. Our anger becomes problematic when our love is out of line. So here's a question to ask yourself when you're angry. What is it that I love too much right now? I'm angry about something. What is it that I love too much? Whose or what's importance have I elevated too much a year or two ago, I quit serving on a denominational committee, which I was appointed to or asked to serve on. It was kind of a little out of my league, and it was a, a leaseholders property committee around uh, Spencer Lake Christian Camp in um, it's, it's, uh It was something I wasn't, I, I was just like, yeah, I can, I can take a turn, Okay. I'll serve, I'll help, I'll, I'll participate. Um, then I found out that their two biannual meetings were the week of July 4th and the first week of November. I didn't so much mind the July 4th thing. <laughs> but the first week of November thing, that was a different story. Because every year I'm in the same place the first week of November. November. And I want to be in that spot the first week of November. And so I quit after several months, after a year or year and a half of serving on this committee. Why? Because I was inconvenienced. Because it interrupted something, one of my plans. Here's the Apostle Paul's answer to unrighteous anger, verse 24. Put on the new man. This is what putting on the new man means. It means living in a new reality that Jesus Christ has created for us. And Paul hints at some ways to help us get rid of unrighteous anger. Um, The first is at the end of verse 32, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Jesus Christ. Think of it this way. Realize that you are number one, a sinner, and number two, that you have been sinned against. And in that order of priority. That is such a great thing to abide by in a marriage. If I remember first that I'm a sinner and secondly that I get sinned against, that mindset enables me to forgive Shannon. Okay? It enables Shannon to forgive me. Pastor, what do you really mean? It means that, that I approach any situation regarding someone else, that I ought to approach any situation regarding someone else, deeply aware of how much I have been forgiven by God. Are you following me? And it changes what I think of that other person's violation. How they've hurt me, how they've perhaps offended me. If I carry the mindset, you know what? I've been forgiven far more than Shannon will ever need to ask me forgiveness for. The mindset changes in healthy ways my emotional response in marriage to Shannon. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about the anger a lot of Christians feel at church when they come to church because they see somebody who's inconsistent. And they see somebody who doesn't participate and serve. And they see somebody who doesn't give. And they see somebody who's an immature Christian, who keeps doing things they ought not to. And they see on the same pews and chairs that they sit on, people that they might label as hypocritical. And it just bothers them. Bonhoeffer says that awareness is actually stage one in the path to Christian maturity. he says it's only stage 1 stage 2 in the path to christian maturity is that that individual realizes and is more aware of how much god has forgiven him or herself for that's the next step in christ likeness then at the end of the verse 26, Paul says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. That means a Christian ought not to carry to bed every night the burden of righting all the wrongs. That's something God promised to do so we can lay our head down on our pillows at night, this is what the text is saying, and go to sleep. How many of you love sleep? We can go to sleep. In Romans 12, Paul would make uh, this same point, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable on the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. In other words, he'll be killed by kindness. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What's the point? The point is that we ought to sleep well as Christians. Don't let your anger lead you into correcting anybody and everybody. Their sin belongs at the same place that your sin belongs, which is the foot of the cross. Amen? It belongs at the same place. Be gracious with others. Be patient with others. Be kind to your enemies. You're not in in charge of judging the world. Leave room for the Holy Spirit to do work. Don't try to settle every score. Be like Elsa, right? What did Elsa say? Let it go. Let it go. Sleep well. Paul's answer to unrighteous anger is putting on the new man, which means embracing the depth of Christ's forgiveness for ourselves and resigning as the judges of the universe and everybody else's sin. So let's put our our final few minutes into considering what loving anger actually looks like. Are you ready? This is good anger. Here's what it looks like. Paul gives us a couple hints. How do we be angry like Jesus? First, Loving anger is redemptive. It's not um, vindictive. It's redemptive, meaning our anger must be directed at the problem, not the person. Here's how Paul said it in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only so much as as builds up, as, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The goal of being a Christian is to build other people up. Is to not to tear them down. It's to give grace to others. Your hatred for sin must not come from a judgmental spirit. It must come from an overwhelming love of the sinner. That's where your, your help needs to come from. Second, loving anger is short-lived in duration. It's short. You confront the person for the wrong, and then you commit it to God. And you confront it gently. And you commit it to God. That's when you go to sleep an unburdened person. Anger that is selfish and sinful stays with you. You mull over the injustice. You carry it for days or weeks or years. It simmers. That's how you know if it's sinful anger righteous anger sleeps well righteous anger sleeps well it isn't as much about literally resolving every issue Shan and i have tried to interpret that verse literally and stayed up until 3 a.m arguing and things did not get that much better okay i'm just going to be honest things got worse the tire we got the tireder we got The point isn't to stay up until you figure out. The point is to carry an attitude, a mindset that says, I don't have to confront every wrong. It's up to the Holy Spirit. It's between her and God. Or more often she's saying, it's between him and God. Jesus never stewed over something for years. He never did. Or even weeks, his anger was short-lived. And here's how we know. Right after he drove the money changers out, vulnerable people flocked to Jesus and he changed their lives. We don't read of of people avoiding him. Don't go near Jesus, he's still crabby. Don't go to Jesus today, he's zapping fig trees. Not a good day. He didn't heal this morning. He's probably not going to this afternoon. He was, he was turning wine back into water today. Don't go anywhere close, right? His anger was focused. It was short-lived. Last one I'll give you. Loving anger develops slowly. We see this throughout the Old Testament. God is slow to what? He does not blow up. Here's a few examples in Proverbs of people who blow up. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Proverbs 16, 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty better than the mighty. James 1.20, we read this a few months back. Be slow to anger for the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. This means rather than giving quick, reflexive outbursts all the time and to which until several months ago, that was the way I subscribed to live. It was at home, you never saw it. It hurt the people that were closest to me, but I would just snap. It was never, I don't want you to think verbal abuse and that kind of thing, but I would just snap. I would just, I had a short fuse. Just get frustrated with the kids and look at them like this. And, you know, like the overbearing dad that we're told not to be. Like we're supposed to play with them with the majority of our time. Not be frustrated with them with the majority of our time. I was just in a, a close with a story, a presbyter meeting in Wapakoneta f- a couple weeks ago, and I was making a case for a policy because I believe a policy is 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 fair and and right in nearly all cases, as opposed to just treating a, a certain church planting couple with some resources because they're cool and really hitting it out of the park, and somebody that's maybe not doing it as well or doesn't look the part. We're not going to say yes to as much help here. And we're going to, and I just said, I just said, we get, we got to, and, and one of the board members looked across the room and said, and said well, what are we just going to do, not plant churches? Now, I can tell you that you will not find a more pro-multiplication. Well, you will, but I'll tell you I'm quite pro-multiplication. I love planting churches. You know how often I've thought, I wish we were in a city where we had suburbs all around us and we could just put them everywhere. We're in central Wisconsin. There are a few populated areas. There's not a lot of places to go to plant nice churches. At least not, you know, you know what I'm saying. So I, I looked at the person. I said, I said calmly, by the grace of God, Bob's my emotional mentor. You'd be proud of me, Bob. I said, I said, I think it's an unfair allegation to say that somebody is anti-multiplication because they prefer a policy in which people are treated fairly. And I was so proud. (laughs) And I'll tell you, it takes more strength of character. It is a harder way to live to acquire that skill to shut up than it is to speak and to give an outburst. And so, in conclusion of our series, I would just tell you that that I think the reason I wanted to go here to emotions is because as your pastor, I'm discovering that the world is a much better place to live and my relationships are better and if I actually live the way the Bible teaches us to live. If I don't just see it as good advice that I probably won't take but if I see it as life-transforming truth if abided by. So I want to encourage you this morning to quit wasting your time being angry. Quit wasting your time being angry. Life is too short to be angry. And when you do get angry, and you should get angry, make it count for something. Fight an injustice. Go to the food pantry. Foster a child. Make it count. Amen. Instead of watching your anger destroy your relationships, use the energy to affect good in the world. Amen.